53 of Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Case. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter 53 A Friend in Need. Mary left the house and saw no one on her way. But it was better, she said to herself, that he should lie there untended than be waited on by unloving hands. The night was very dark. There was no moon, and the stars were hidden by thick clouds. She must walk all the way to Testbridge. She felt weak, but the fresh air was reviving. She did not know the way so familiarly as that between Thornwick and the town, but she would enter the latter before arriving at the common. She had not gone far when the moon rose, and from behind the clouds diminished the darkness a little. The first part of her journey lay along a narrow lane, with a small ditch, a rising bank, and a hedge on each side. About the middle of the lane was a farmyard, and a little way farther a cottage. Soon after passing the gate of the farmyard, she thought she heard steps behind her, seemingly soft and swift, and naturally felt a little apprehension but her thoughts flew to the one hiding place for thoughts and hearts and lives, and she felt no terror. At the same time something moved her to quicken her pace. As she drew near the common, she heard the steps more plainly, still soft and swift, and almost wished she had sought refuge in the cottage she had just passed, only it bore no very good character in the neighborhood. When she reached the spot where the paths united, feeling a little at home, she stopped to listen. Behind her were the footsteps plain enough. The same moment the clouds thinned about the moon, and a pale light came filtering through upon the common in front of her. She cast one look over her shoulder, saw something turn a corner in the lane, and sped on again. She would have run, but there was no place of refuge now nearer than the corner of the turnpike road, and she knew her breath would fail her long before that. How lonely and shelterless the common looked. The soft, swift steps came nearer and nearer. Was that music she heard? She dared not stop to listen. But immediately, thereupon, was poured forth on the dim air such a stream of pearly sounds, as if all the necklaces of some heavenly choir of women angels were broken, and the beads came pelting down in a cataract of hurtless hail. From no source could they come save the bow and violin of Joseph Jasper? Where could he be? She was so rejoiced to know that he must be somewhere near, that, for very delight of unsecured safety, she held her peace, and had almost stopped. But she ran on again. She was now nigh the ruined hut from which my narrative has made the reader acquainted. In the meantime the moon had been growing out of the clouds, clearer and clearer. The hut came in sight, but the look of it was somehow altered, with an undefinable change, such as might appear on a familiar object in a dream. And leaning against the side of the door stood a figure she could not mistake for any other than her musician. Absorbed in his music, he did not see her. She called out, Joseph! Joseph! He started, threw his bow from him, tucked his violin under his arm, and bounded to meet her. She tried to stop, and at the same moment to look behind her. 
The consequence was that she fell, but safe in the smith's arms. That instant appeared a man running. He half stopped, and, turning from the path, took to the common. Jasper handed his violin to Mary and darted after him. The chase did not last a minute, and the man was nearly spent. Joseph seized him by the wrist, saw something glitter in his other hand, and turned sick. The fellow had stabbed him. With indignation, as if it were a snake that had bit him, the blacksmith flung from him the hand he held. The man gave a cry, staggered, recovered himself, and ran. Joseph would have followed again, but fell, and for a minute or two lost consciousness. When he came to himself, Mary was binding up his arm. "'What a fool I am,' he said, trying to get up, but yielding at once to Mary's prevention. "'Ain't it ridiculous now, miss, that a man of my size, and ready to work a sledge with any smith in Yorkshire, should turn sick for a little bit of a job with a knife? But my father was just the same, and he was a stronger man than I'm like to be, I fancy.' "'It is no such wonder as you think,' said Mary. "'You have lost a good deal of blood.' Her voice faltered. She had been greatly alarmed, and the more that she had not light enough to get the edges of the wound properly together. "'You've stopped it, ain't you, miss?' "'I think so.' "'Then I'll be after the fellow.' "'No, no, you must not attempt it. You must lie still a while. But I don't understand it at all. That cottage used to be a mere hovel, without door or window. It can't be you live in it.' "'Aye, that I do.' "'And it's not a bad place, either,' answered Joseph. "'That's what I went to Yorkshire to get my money for. "'It's mine, bought and paid for. "'But what made you think of coming here?' "'Let's go into the smithy. "'House, I won't presume to call it,' said Joseph. "'Though it has a lean-to for the smith. "'And I'll tell you everything about it. "'But really, miss, you oughtn't to be out like this after dark. "'There's too many vagabonds about.' With but little need of the help Mary yet gave him, Joseph got up, and led her to what was now a respectable little smithy, with forge and billows, and anvil and bucket. Opening a door where there had been none, he brought a chair, and making her sit down, began to blow the covered fire on the hearth, where he had not long before boiled his kettle for his tea. Then closing the door, he lighted a candle, and Mary, looking around her, could scarcely believe the change that had come upon the miserable vacuity. Joseph sat down upon his anvil, and begged to know where she had just been, and how far she had run from the rascal. When he had learned something of the peculiar relations in which Mary stood to the family at Durnmelling, he began to think that there might have been something more in the pursuit than a chance ruffianly assault and the greater were his regrets that he had not secured the miscreant. "'Anyhow, miss,' he said, "'you'll never come from there alone in the dark again.' "'I understand you, Joseph,' answered Mary, "'for I know you would not have me leave doing what I can for the poor man up there, because of a little danger in the way.' "'No, that I don't, miss. "'That would be as much as to say you would do the will of God when the devil would let you. "'What I mean is that here I am,' your slave, or servant, or soldier, or whatever you may please to call me, ready at your word. I must not take you from your work, you know, Joseph. Work's not everything, miss, he answered. 
and it's seldom so pressing that, except I be shoeing a horse, I can leave it whenever I choose. Any time you want to go anywhere, don't forget, as you've got enemies about, and just send for me. You won't have long to wait till I come. But I am main sorry the rascal didn't have something to keep him in mind of his manners. Part of this conversation, and a good deal more, passed on their way to Testbridge, whither, as soon as Joseph seemed all right, Mary, who had forgotten her hunger and faintness, insisted on setting out at once. In her turn she questioned Joseph, and learned that, as soon as he knew she was going to settle at Testbridge, he started off to find, if possible, a place in the neighborhood, humble enough to be within his reach, and near enough for the hope of seeing her sometimes, and having what help she might please to give him. The explanation afforded Mary more pleasure than she cared to show. She had a real friend near her, one ready to help her on her own ground, one who understood her because he understood the things that she loved. He told her that already he had work enough to keep him going, that the horses he once shod were always brought to him again, that lie was at no expense such as in town, and that he had plenty of time both for his violin and his books. When they came to the suburbs, she sent him home, and went straight to Mr. Brett with Mr. Redmain's message. He undertook to be at Durnmelling at the time appointed, and to let nothing prevent him from seeing his new client. End of chapter 53 A Friend in Need